CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hi, this is Josh Marshall, and this is the Josh Marshall Podcast. It is uh, two days after Election Day. It is November 5th, 2020. And we are getting, I think, the outlines of the story are, are coming into view now. Uh, we don't have a final result with the presidential, but I think everyone would agree it is, you know, much more likely than not that uh, Joe Biden's going to be the next president of the United States. We don't know exactly the margin, but I think it will be the odds on or are, you know, a healthy margin. Uh, it's looking like uh, the Democrats will have, I guess, uh, a net one seat Senate pickup so far. And uh, very likely, I guess not 100% confirmed, that we'll have two runoff races in Georgia in January, which sets up a, I don't even know, you know. That's it's like a, a double double rainbow, double runoff for yeah, uh, election, yeah, election Yeah, I nerds. mean, it's, you know, Georgia is not a small state, but man, you're going to, they're going to have a hard time packing all the money that is going to be poured into that state over the next two months in this, because this is... Uh, if the Democrats won both of those races, they would control the Senate. They would control it because it's a 50-50 split, and Kamala Harris would uh, uh, provide the tie-breaking vote uh, for the leadership and control and all that kind of stuff. That is, uh, I'm not sure it's quite a long shot. It's it's a it's a you know it's a tough bill. It's a it's a um, it's going to be a real challenge. But uh, I think it is. Looking like uh, more likely than not that Joe Biden will win Georgia. We certainly don't know that yet, but again, more likely than not. And it's going to be so close in either direction that it is sort of basically a tie in the sense of where Georgia is. So if if it's a tie, you can't say winning a Senate race there is is like impossible or aspirational. Um, and the... The two, uh, they're not even, <laughs> one of them isn't really an incumbent, uh, just the sort of the placeholder. Uh, but the two senators are not terribly popular. Um, so, you know, it's it's doable. Uh, it's it's uh, not anything I would count on. My assumption is that uh, Mitch McConnell will be the majority leader in January, which is, which is bad, which really is a big negative. Uh, but you know what would be a bigger negative? If Donald Trump were sworn in again on January 20th, that would be a catastrophe. And it's pretty clearly not going to happen. So uh, we don't know yet. It's I think it's possible that we'll get a we'll get a, um, you know, a call today. But we are recording this podcast uh, a touch afternoon on the East Coast. So we're going to kind of walk through what we've seen over the last 48 hours with my two colleagues, my two co-hosts, and uh, we'll go from there. Before, before, I, um, 
Before we get to that, remember that the Josh Marshall Podcast is brought to you, is sponsored by Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee. I was going to say... You, you have this 25% off deal uh, through election day, but that's that's uh, that's backwards in time now. So I guess that doesn't apply anymore, but you should still be buying Grady's Cold Brew Iced Coffee, the sponsor of the show. It's great stuff. We all drink it, and uh, it's just great stuff. So you should order some. Go to Grady'sColdBrew.com and, uh, you know, put in the promo code TPM. You're probably going to, I'm sure you're going to get some discount. I can't even tell you exactly what it's going to be, but it's good stuff. So do that. That's our sponsor. And uh, David, what do we got? Josh. So, Kate, I thought maybe we could check in with you. The last time we spoke was about one in the morning on Wednesday, so kind of overnight on election night. We did not have a a clear sense of where things were going. A lot was still up in the air. Um, Basically, what we knew then was kind of uh, what we had expected, that we we would be in for kind of a long wait. So I just wanted to see what's your... uh, What's your mental health state like, your anxiety <laughs> level over the last couple of days? How are you doing? Yeah, you know, as I was saying off air, don't eat, don't sleep. I just watch the vote totals. But yeah, I mean, the emotional roller coaster for Democrats over the past couple of days has really been night and day. Um, I think Tuesday, even though people were prepared for, um, you know, the that it would be a blue mirage in these early sunbelt states, that the Democratic vote would be counted first and then uh, the mail-in ballots, and then it would you know, swing back to election day vote with Republicans. Um, having Florida come in not as close as the polls predicted and then North Carolina on its heels was kind of a double barrel blow for Democrats, especially because the concern being that if the polls were off there, what who's to say they're not off everywhere? Um, you know, and in some ways I had a very heavy 2016 reverberations, which I think Democrats have a lot of scar tissue around to begin with. So, you know, that's kind of where we were then. I would say even that night, the fact that we had Fox News go out on that limb and call Arizona way before everybody else. So there was some concern around that, concern that maybe they were going to have to retract that call, that they'd made it too soon. But if you did put credence in the call, that was kind of a sign of where the race has gone since then, which is Trump's chances without Arizona were always way worse than if he had won it. And that having that tally in Biden's column was you know huge. But I think people were nervous because Fox was the only one who had called it. We later had the AP call, but we're still at the point where uh, CNN and NBC haven't called it, even now, Thursday afternoon. So that's kind of where we were headed into Wednesday. And then that was the moment of the big sigh of relief for Democrats when Biden won Wisconsin and then Michigan. Um, And, you know, as David had mentioned just off air, it looks like Michigan in particular is aiming to not even be that close when all is said and done. But when he had those he had those states and then he had Arizona. That is just a much easier, calmer path to 270. And things get much up more uphill from Trump since then. So, you know, and then from that point, we've kind of had Pennsylvania's coming in. It's still coming in, but looking very promising for Biden. The campaign's been very bullish about their chances there. We have Nevada. It's counting so painfully, slowly, but that looks good for Biden, too. I will just say, right as we were talking, they just got mm-hmm. another batch in in Nevada, and it seems okay. like there's some significant Biden padding there now. Okay. So that wasn't that wasn't too up in the air, but right. it seems like a lot less up in the air as of a few moments ago. Okay, yeah. Because, I mean, if, if Biden's got 
Arizona, Nevada blocked, I mean, that's that's 270. So wouldn't even need Pennsylvania, even though that's looking good for him as well. So yeah, in the past 48 hours, we've gone from a place where I think Democrats were pretty suicidal, thinking we had another 2016 on our hands to things are looking quite good for Biden, quite bad for Trump. And the big concern that we've talked about that on this pod for months that Trump would, you know, try to hijack a losing election, throw it to the courts. Obviously, that threat is still present. But what we've seen so far is just so much more clownish and cartoonish than what I personally expected. You know, I thought they were kind of we'd read all these reports about their beefing up their legal departments. They're bringing in the top guns, you know, they're and they were casting aspersions about mail-in ballots, about all this kind of stuff to kind of prepare the way to make this big legal challenge. And a lot of what we've seen so far is not even necessarily centered on the votes themselves, though we do have a couple things in that vein. But there's been a lot of lawsuits about, you know, ballot watchers not being allowed in the room and other just silly stuff like that, which, okay, you know, so say the Trump campaign wins, what, they get their guys in there and then they just keep counting the ballots, you know, that that is not going to be the lawsuit that swings the election for Trump. Um, so I think, yeah, to, to sum that all up, where we are now Thursday afternoon is more of a posture of kind of waiting for the final state to fall into Biden's column than where we were Tuesday, which was just racked with panic that the polls were off, nothing we believed was true, we're headed for another Trump upset. It does have, uh, you know, just major flashbacks to 2018, too, when we had James Carville early in the night on MSNBC, I believe, saying it's not a blue wave. I think we had Van Jones on CNN calling it a heartbreaking night. And then we just had to wait for the votes to be counted. And it ended up being a pretty strong Democratic showing, uh, you know, Democrats taking the majority in the House. And it's it's seeming like it's feeling like it's playing out in a similar way, too. If we have, you know, if Biden gets Nevada, if Arizona holds, Pennsylvania is looking solid, maybe even Georgia. That's not even, you know, that's a better night than I think a lot of Democrats were. I don't know, feeling about on Tuesday. So maybe, Josh, let me ask you, you know, you're a very close watcher of the polls. I know you have kind of, you're obsessed with that. Um, you've been having some interesting, I don't know, discussions or conversations on Twitter about do we need to fix polling? Is there some existential crisis in polling? Obviously, you know, the ABC Washington Post poll showing Biden up 17 points in Wisconsin seems like an outlier here <laughs> in, in hindsight, but kind of give us your global sense of, I don't know, where the polling industry stands. Do we need to just rethink it altogether? What's um, what's going on there? Well, I, let me say one thing first about uh, something Kate said, which was right on target, that, that you know, there's there was just this, uh, you know, kind of dead hand of 2016 looming over a lot of us. And I think what, you know, what, what it was very reminiscent of is that a lot of us, 2016, you say, wow, didn't come together in Florida. We say, you know what, but we've got all these other states, so it's okay. So, cause we've got all these other states and you just see them fall, fall, fall. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, seeing, especially, I mean, and, and I haven't, you know, it doesn't really matter now to the, to the, to the top of the ticket results. I haven't gone back and looked everywhere, but the big story in 2016 was Democrats are actually getting their numbers in the democratic areas, but Trump is bringing new people out in his areas. 
um, which in some ways was sort of the story in these other states. So you did have a sense of like, wow, we, you know, kind of thought like, okay, you lose one, that's not a big deal, but, but it, but it was a, a, a premonition. And then, so it kind of seemed that way. Right. Especially with this weird thing in Miami Dade, we're kind of like, you know, just a total wasn't like the margin was down. It was like a, a, a different county or something um, on the polling stuff. You know, it's hard to say because on the you know, right now, I think the most likely outcome is 306 electoral votes for Joe Biden, which, frankly, I would say is about. You know, if, if you ask me kind of like a week ago, I would say that's kind of like the median expectation, you know, wins Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, picks up Georgia, picks up uh, uh, Arizona. I'm not, we don't know all those things yet. I'm just saying they're the, I think they are the most likely uh, uh, outcome with Georgia being the most un- uncertain. But you wouldn't say it was like tight. You wouldn't say it was a blowout, you know. You don't have Texas, you don't have like, you know, even North Carolina, which I would have, I frankly thought was more likely than Florida. You don't have Florida, obviously. Um, but it's funny because there's, you know, there, there's um, the whole conversation about polling, a lot of which tends to zero in on like Nate Silver and this weird psychodrama of everybody's love hate with Nate Silver, right? Um, I've seen all these things like there's going to be a reckoning for the pollster, pollsters. You can't mess it up twice in a row. It's so bad. And, uh, and it, gets, it gets sort of conflated with other kind of uh, whininess about, about the Democratic Party, even though it has nothing to do with the Democratic Party. Um, and, I, and I think this is what you're getting at, David, is, is sort of like, do we, need, do, we, do we need to fix polling? Does polling, like, wh- why does polling even matter? I mean, as you said, I'm totally obsessed with polling, but that's just because I have this totally irrational need to feel like I need to know how elections are going to turn out before they happen, which is purely like a hang-up I have that has nothing to do with anything. Um, and so, you know, and in some ways, it really would be better. I mean, I was kind of thinking, I mean, Tuesday night was not pleasant. It was deeply unpleasant. I'll speak for myself. I suspect I'm speaking for a lot of other people. That was not fun. I was not expecting to be there again four years later. It was deeply unfun. Um, But as it was happening, and especially before it got pretty dark for a while, I was thinking that this whole pandemic vote counting thing was kind of good in the sense that, well, I don't really know what's going to happen. You know, kind of going into this blind. And that is actually kind of in some ways better. You know, there is, um, you know, the people in the safe in the safe states don't vote in a lot of cases uh, because their votes don't matter. Right. Or kind of like, I mean, so it's treated as, you know, we have to fix polling, but like. Why? What does it really have to do with anything? There's there's some arguments, but basically, what does it have to do with anything? Sorry, Kate. No, my big question on the polling front is, were the private polls that the campaigns were paying for as off as the public polls? Because, you know, if you're a campaign, 
that is pretty key to how you decide to allocate your resources, absolutely, absolutely. your personnel, what states you target. And the reason why I'm kind of saying I don't know is because if you look at how the Biden campaign did their campaign, it was from the first focused on flipping that Midwestern blue wall back. And they did a pretty incredible job of not getting distracted by the shiny objects that people were trying to push them to at the end of the campaign. Specifically, you know, when we were starting to see these very bullish projections in the Sun Belt, you had people saying, you need to be spending more time in Texas. You know, you need to be spending more time in Florida. And the Biden campaign would, you know, they sent down Kamala Harris on one day to go to the Rio Grande Valley and, you know, send Obama down and things like that. But on the whole, laser focused, especially on Pennsylvania in the last few days of the race, which ended up that is pretty much how it's looking, you know, with the exceptions of we do have Arizona and Georgia. But, you know, the crux of this race is where the crux of the 2016 race is, which is Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania. So that makes me wonder was the Biden campaign looking at better data than the rest of us were? You know, did they see that Florida was not tilting Biden the way that the the public polling was and that helped them just channel all their energy into those states? You know, I don't know. But that's something that I'd be interested to know when all is said and done. I, I, I will say this. And and uh, David, I think you were in this. You were running this briefing with me. Uh, we talked to Guy Cecil. Uh, I mean, I. <laughs> I've totally lost track of time. I think uh, when was that even? Was it Friday? That was last Thursday. Last okay, last, last Thursday, a week ago, right? Okay, or Friday? Or something uh, yeah, like something that. like that. <laughs> and what he said, and I suspect their polling would be comparable. You know, similar methodologies and stuff, probably comp- uh, comparable to Biden's polling. The key thing he said is that it was much more consistent. They weren't seeing these like, you know, oh, it's it's a blowout in October and now it's tightening that theirs were pretty consistent. And again, for the presidential, not clear to me that it was that it was meaningfully wrong at all, frankly. I mean, if uh, I think what Florida is like three percentage points in the final total, um, I, you know, I don't know exactly where it is now, um, but if they thought it was. Like, let's say the Biden campaign thought they were up two. That's 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 just within what can happen, right? That's not off. That's not a disaster. Um, so it's really not clear to me. And, he, and even in the public polling, you do kind of get. I mean, in 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 Florida, there there does seem to be an issue. I think. You have a, it's not just a diverse state, you've got a lot of different communities, you know, kind of ethnic, uh, um, demographic, uh, and by that I mean sort of these these transplant retirement communities in Florida, you have a bunch of different uh, ethnic groups under the Hispanic label. It's not just, and it's not just, you know, Cubans versus everybody else, it's, you know, Puerto Ricans, uh, uh, um, you know, a bunch of, you know, Venezuela, a lot of different stuff going on. And the pollsters seem to have just a hard time getting a sense of, of, you know, what's representative or not. So Florida, I think, was a was a bit off, certainly from the public polls. Mm -hmm. But outside of that, you know, if it turns out that they were seeing like, look, we're up three or four in in Pennsylvania, 
I'm not sure that's going to be off. The House is a little like what, you know, it does seem yes. like the Democrats are going to lose, you know, kind of shed a, not, a, a significant number of their gains um, from 2018. And that is, you know, that's a question. I don't know exactly, you know, I have less of a sense of... Um, You know, were the were the internal polls in that in those campaigns off exactly? Certainly, it was off in, in that I don't think I, I certainly wasn't expecting. I don't think other people were expecting that they were going to lose. You know, lose seats. They thought they were going to. I think they thought they were going to gain the, you know, a dozen, maybe as many as twenty seats. So that's that's a bit off. We've got to figure out why that is. But again, David, to your point, it really is like twenty eighteen. You have people saying like, oh, we've got to rethink everything. And then and then kind of three days out with like, you know, your lifespan shortened by three years, <laughs> you're kind of like, well, that's kind of what we thought was going to happen. Yeah. And I think with the polling specifically, we do kind of have to wait for these states to shake out because, you know, Michigan is looking like Biden's going to win it pretty handily now. That's not exactly how it was looking though when the votes first started coming in. So, you know, the polls are telling us what are predicting what the the ultimate end result of that vote will be, not what the vote's going to be on election day. You know, so even though we were maybe worried about Michigan or maybe worried about Wisconsin, when all is said and done, those races might not end up being very close, and that is what was reflected in the polls. But you know, my one of my big beefs with the polls right now is what happened in the Senate to Democrats. You know, best chance races, and particularly. In North Carolina, where you had Cal Cunningham running against Tom Tillis, and in Maine, where Sarah Gideon was facing off against Susan Collins, because in both of those races, but specifically North Carolina, Cunningham had been leading for months. Like, you have to go all the way back to the summer to find a poll where Tillis was leading. And I'm not saying it was a huge double-digit lead, but it was, you know, mid-low single digits for months and months and months and months, including when he had his stupid sexting scandal. And after that, it just seemed very baked in. And that is a lot how Maine was as well. Gideon had a pretty clear edge for multiple months going into this and Maine specifically doesn't even look like it's going to be close. Yeah. Yeah. And and she had, and she had the ranked choice voting in her Mm -hmm. back pocket that kind of like, she didn't need to win outright. She probably could have lost by, you know, two or three percentage points and then still, uh, you know, done it easily with, with ranked choice voting. So that is like, that is, that, that, that's a, that's kind of a stunner. And I mean, mm-hmm. again, everything that, I mean, you got to hand it to Susan Collins, man. I mean, damn. I know. <laughs> I mean, it sucks, but you got to hand it to her. Especially in Maine, because in, in North Carolina, maybe you make the argument Trump ran ahead of where we thought he was going to run. Because, you know, I think people, I myself included, expected North Carolina to be kind of where Georgia is now. And it seems to be a bit redder than that. So maybe that's your argument. Trump ran ahead of his benchmarks. Most people vote straight ticket. Ergo, Tillis ran ahead of his benchmarks. But in Maine, Biden won by nine points. It wasn't close. So we had some, you know, ticket splitting going on or some hardcore Collins constituency that we didn't know about before this. Well, we, we, I mean, she's been there for a long time. And, uh, you know, her thing, her shtick has always been, you know, 
I'm not really a Republican. You're not voting for a Republican. You're voting for Susan Collins. And I'm and and my my I, I wasn't watching that closely, but my sense is she closed hard on all the cool stuff I've brought to Maine. You know, yeah. I don't know if it's like a big lobster processing factory or what exactly <laughs> she was bragging about, but you know, all the cool stuff she did for Maine. And I think the, you know, certainly the premise was that she had just shown how she was a, you know, a faithful backer of the corruption and horror show of Trumpism. And that that pitch was not going to work anymore. And it did. It worked. Yeah. And, and man, I, I think as you say, that's the Tillis thing. It's a reddish state. You know, I'm not sure it's red, but it certainly has like, you know, it's red curious. Let's put it that way. Right. <laughs> um, so, you know, Trump won and, you know, kind of Tillis is Trump's guy. Um, th- that, it's very disappointing. It does show the polls kind of miss something, but in a, you know, in a way, not that surprising, but the Collins thing, wow, it still worked. Yeah. And what's interesting about Collins to me, which is kind of goes to a point you just made is similar to how Mitch McConnell keeps getting elected in Kentucky. It's like both of these senators are especially reviled by Democrats. Um, every year that they're up, there's a well, Collins only recently, but McConnell for a while, target on their back. That is someone Democrats hate and want to take out. And then Collins this time, McConnell for like the 8 million times he's been reelected, just keeps making their campaign about, hey, here's what I've done for you, state, here, Kentucky, here, Maine. I've been like bringing back the goods to you again and again. And that ultimately keeps seeming to trump these people's national profile uh, which has, you know, incurred so much hatred from the Democratic side. Well, you know, the weird, th- the weird thing too about McConnell is that he is not popular in Kentucky. Right. He's really not liked at all by anybody. <laughs> he pulls it out. He's mm-hmm. supported, but when you look at, uh, uh, you know, kind of like approval and stuff, he's really unpopular. No one likes him, <laughs> but they support him. And, and in that way, uh, Collins is kind of the inverse of that. You have a lot of, you know, in Maine, kind of like, oh, you know, hate Trump, hate those Republicans, but Collins is our person. You know, she brought us the lobster processing plant, <laughs> you know, so. Oh, yeah. But. And on this topic, one more beef to get out of my system is that a lot of people online have been pissed that there was so much money spent on McGrath in Kentucky, similar to Harrison in South Carolina, where Lindsey Graham, you know, pretty much sailed to reelection. And I've seen a lot of kind of ha 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 tweets about the mountains of money that have been set on fire. And that drives me nuts because what do you want? Do you want Democrats to only compete in blue states? Because the way the Senate is structured, Democrats will never, ever, ever have a majority again if that's what they're doing. And the only way for us to make inroads into these states that are traditionally red or getting bluer like South Carolina, the only way to do that is to pump in money and build some infrastructure and set up some grassroots funding. I couldn't agree with you more. And, you know, I saw there's this woman I know who's a Republican operative and she had this tweet saying like, you know, such a tragedy, all that money. Just think of the charities it could have gone oh to. Oh, my God. The philanthropies. And it was just 
burned up. And, and you know, Graham kind of tried to get into this, oh, never so much money been lost. You know, give me a break. Give me a break. He was desperate and he was terrified. And yeah, he won, you know, props. He won. Um, but the thing is, I mean, I, I don't know, but I would be shocked if there are many people who gave money to Jamie Harrison who are like, oh, man, you sold me down the river, man. Like, like how, how could you do that to me? You lost. I want my money back. I think people knew those were, those were, the, the, I mean, there's, there's a sort of argument of the McGrath. I, I think we knew that McGrath was, was really tough. Harrison, I think, had more of it. I mean, sort of in retrospect, hard to say, having a chance, you know, blah, 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 blah. But I think a lot of Democrats wanted to leave nothing on the field. It was super important. And, um, I suspect the vast majority of people who um, who gave twenty five bucks, two hundred bucks, are probably like, "I'm glad you gave it all you got." I don't think Democrats are sad about it. Yeah, and just the the idea that you know you're going to shift a state like South Carolina blue in one go it seems pretty remote to me. And I think there's evidence to suggest that kind of the battering ram of going at Georgia again and again, and especially with, you know, people like Stacey Abrams devoting all this organizational effort and money is the reason why it's a yep. swing state now. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Totally. It, it's not wasted money. Right. Totally agree. You've made the point a lot, Josh, right, that kind of politics and campaigns and elections are sort of a muscle that you build up over time, right? It doesn't happen overnight, and it's not like one loss is, uh, you know, a doomsday scenario for either party or, you know, and that it takes time. And I think you're exactly right, Kate, that George is a good example of that. But I think that's, I think that's about all the time we have. We will probably be back once we know kind of more certain, certainly what, uh, what the results are. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, remember, uh, Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee is the sponsor of the Josh Marshall podcast. Order it, order it, order it. Uh, use the promo code TPM. It's great stuff. And uh, I can't even tell you what the discount will be, but I'm sure there's some discount. So go ahead and order <laughs> We some are stuff. very comfortable with ambiguity these yes, days. Yes, so. <laughs> we have to. We're waiting for the, we don't know the numbers yet. And you just got to let it ride and, and exactly. order your Grady's and, and just, you know, you have to, you have to wait for the results. <laughs> All right. Well, nice to talk to you guys. All, All right. right. Talk to you guys soon. Talk to you later. Bye.